This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. Today on episode 10 of season 3. Among bean is a very versatile crop. I see there is a lot more benefit in growing this crop, which is right now in a minor um, stage. But I think uh, in future it can become our uh, lentil uh, like Canada. Uh, however, uh, to reach there, we'll need a collective effort, industry, private and public uh, to bring this crop into the mainstream. Dr. Artie Singh joins the show to talk to us about a lesser-known pulse crop that is showing a lot of potential for increased commercial production in the U.S., and that is mung bean. This crop, which you may be more familiar with from its traditional use in bean sprouts, is seeing increased demand due to its ideal properties for many plant-based proteins. Dr. Singh is an assistant professor in the Department of Agronomy at Iowa State University with more than 15 years of plant breeding experience. After obtaining her PhD degree from G.B. Pant University in India, she worked as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Saskatchewan and then at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada prior to joining Iowa State University, where she is now. Her breeding program is focused on developing new varieties for plant-based protein markets. Her research projects are geared toward harnessing genetic diversity for genetic gain, utilization of advanced data analytics, particularly machine and deep learning for early disease and stress signatures, and genetic and genomic studies on abiotic and biotic stress resistance. Today, though, you're going to discover the mung bean and its potential to be a profitable part of a rotation in many areas of the U.S. To dive in, I thought a good place to start might be wondering, how does one get involved in mung bean breeding in the first place? So in 2016, uh, UN General Assembly declared the uh, year 2016 as International Year of Pulse Crop. And uh, that was the starting point when I started thinking about uh, pulses. And uh, since I did my postdoc from Canada, and I was very uh, inspired or impressed by Canadian agriculture, especially the diversity of crops uh, which they grow in pulses. They grow chickpeas, rye peas, lentils. And uh, so uh, I got very excited when I started thinking in that direction. And I picked mung bean and urt bean. Uh, so mung bean is known as green gram, and it belongs to Vigna genus. And urt bean uh, is, uh, belongs to same uh, genus Vigna, but it belongs to different species, uh, Vigna mungo. So uh, mung bean is not new to U.S. It was grown in U.S. Uh, since 1835, and it was known as Chicksaw peas because it was grown in Chicksaw states uh, like Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, and uh, since then, uh, mung bean is grown in U.S., but I call it sometimes unsung mung too because People uh, see it uh, every now and then in restaurants in the form of sprouts, uh, but they don't know uh, what it is. So whenever you are seeing these thick sprouts in restaurant, uh, they are uh, coming from mung beans uh, because uh, they sprout very well. But as you probably already know, these bean sprouts are nothing new. Most of us have probably eaten them in the past. What's really got Artie and others excited about this unsung mung is the growing demand for plant-based protein and the amount of potential uses they're finding in mung bean as a food ingredient. 
So what excites me about, uh, especially mung bean, is that the quality of protein it has, and it's quite versatile when it comes to uses. So when I say the quality of protein uh, in mung bean, it's very high quality because uh, the digestibility of mung bean protein is very high, and not very many people know that among all the pulses, mung bean is highly digestible, and it has a least uh, flatulence, especially when uh, people eat beans, uh, they complain uh, about uh, flatulence and uh, you know stomach ache and it is uh, taste neutral and flavor neutral so this is the one reason why it, it finds so many uses in plant based protein products there is a company it is a california based company and it started making mung bean eggs and they sell a product called just egg Basically, they sell it in a bottle where they have isolated uh, mung bean protein isolate. It looks like egg. It tastes like eggs. And it also has a similar amino acid content like eggs, uh, but it is not made from chicken. So uh, it's pretty cool. Another uses of uh, mung bean is I'm seeing is in mung bean pasta. So I think this uh, mung bean is getting very popular in food products. And so they are using mung bean isolate also in bakery and making cakes, uh, uh, pies and pastries. So mung bean, uh, we are seeing recently the, the uses of have ballooned up uh, right now. China, they also make mung bean tea. Uh, mung bean cake is very important. And they also make uh, uh, mung bean popcorn, like this uh, pop uh, mung, mung bean kernels similar to uh, like popcorn. So I should not say popcorn, but they, they just uh, pop those kernels similar to popcorn. As you can hear, Artie has an incredible amount of knowledge on this unique crop. Her background with mung bean goes back even further than her education. Her father was also a mung bean breeder in India. The good thing is I have, uh, my dad is pulse breeder. So in my family, I have seen uh, my dad uh, doing pulse breeding and his pulse cultivar are grown all over India. So he's also one of my inspiration. But growing up when I was doing PhD, I really wanted to do PhD in rice. And uh, he was in the same department uh, and he was doing uh, pulse breeding. I, I never got into it. But when I came to uh, U.S., I guess, and I was uh, seeing that in, in U.S., especially in Midwest, in, in Iowa, uh, when I came to Iowa, I realized they grow just two crops, soybean and corn. And when it comes to sustainability also, we have issues when we have just few crops and farmers don't have diversity. Another person who's been a great inspiration to Artie is Dr. Al Slinkert, who you heard a little bit about in last week's episode with Dr. Steve Shirtliff. Artie has a vision for bringing mung bean to the U.S. the way that Al Slinkert brought lentils to Canada. In 1970s, in Canada, they hired U.S. plant breeder L. Slinkard. They hired him to do pre breeding, but he started uh, breeding for lentils, also in addition to peas. And since 1970 till today, uh, Canada is number one in lentil production, and it is a more than billion-dollar industry right now. So uh, that gives me inspiration that something like a crop like lentil uh, can become a crop like it is currently in Canada. So I get inspired by lentil industry in Canada, and I really wanted to see how Canadians are so good in producing pulses. And I started looking into the literature, how these um, pulse crops uh, they started and uh, how they started the breeding and the good thing is uh, you know 
so I started monk bean breeding using USDA germplasm. So there is a plant and genetic research uh, institute or conservation unit in Griffin, Georgia, where uh, I got around 3,000 mung bean accessions to start my program. And similarly, Dr. Elslingard started his breeding program from USDA germplasm for lentil and peas. So that gives me that, hey, if uh, he can start uh, lentil industry from USDA germplasm, I can also start and follow his footsteps. In order to follow in these footsteps, it's going to take improved varieties, of course, which is certainly a focus of Artie's work. But it's also going to take an understanding of the agronomic needs of the crop for farmers. So my uh, program is... uh focused on mung bean breeding. But as a breeder, you know, uh, when you are you are breeding for a crop, you just uh, don't work on just breeding. You have to work on pathology aspect. You have to work with the entomologist. You have to work with the food scientists. Uh, you also work, you need to work with a genomicist. So in, in recent year, I was able to form a group of scientists who are interested to work on various aspects because early on I realized that if I want mung bean to be seen as a new crop which farmers would like to use, I have to use systems approach. And when I call it systems approach, I have to see it as a whole system, not just for just breed a variety. And so you have to develop agronomic practices, you know, seeding rate, row spacing, all those things needs to go on. And any crop, if you work, you will see it has insect problem, disease problem. You need to work on quality. And especially uh, mung bean is being used in a plant-based uh, industry. We need to work on the quality of protein, the amount of nutrients it has. So breeder is continuously looking for lines which have high protein or high yield so that they can use those lines in their crossing program so that they can deliver to stakeholders or farmers uh, varieties which are high yielding, but they also have a better quality along with disease and insect resistance. So we have taken systems approach and I'm very happy that uh, Iowa State was able to support my program right from 2017. Uh, They have been funding my program through RF Baker funding, which helped me in initial years till now. And currently I'm applying for funding for federal agencies and other funding agencies so that I can uh, continue this work and release some new varieties which are high yielding and also have a better disease and quality package in in them. Some good news as far as the future adoption of mung bean is that growing this crop is really not all that different agronomically from growing another crop a lot of farmers are already familiar with, soybeans. Yeah, so uh, mung bean is a warm season legume crop. So wherever you see soybean is also a warm season legume crop. So wherever we see we can grow soybean or cowpea, we can grow mung bean. And other pulses like chickpeas, lentils, dry beans, or fava beans, these are cool season legume crop. And as we are seeing uh, this climate change is happening, we are seeing much drier spells where where, uh, we see that uh, it's very difficult. We are also seeing a lot of drought uh, recently. Uh, So mung bean is very good uh, being a drought tolerant and to some extent it's heat tolerant. So I see that agronomically it does uh, similar to soybeans and it is more profitable in areas where uh, areas are more marginal or dry lands uh, where commercial uh, row crops are infeasible. But at the same time, 
I'm seeing that uh, when we grow mung bean in highly fertile land like uh, uh, Midwest or Iowa, the yield potential is pretty high uh, compared to when mung bean is grown in countries uh, like uh, Burma or Myanmar. I see uh, the yield potential for mung bean is pretty high here. Now, while we're on this topic of yield, I mean, keep in mind, we're still in the early days of this mung bean breeding program in the U.S., but I think it's important to talk about what the current yields are that farmers can expect today if they wanted to consider planting this crop. So yield, as you said, it's going to vary depending upon uh, the soil where you're planting, the climate, but uh, mung bean yield generally ranges from a uh, thousand to two thousand pounds per acre, and uh, this is estimate I'm giving regarding mung bean grown in in Oklahoma. So mung bean is grown in Oklahoma and some parts in Texas and Kansas. So there is um, much more research needed, and I can come to that point later on. But uh, right now. I get uh, calls from farmers in California, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Iowa, Kansas, Texas, who are looking for mung bean cultivars. And the reason uh, they ask uh, new varieties is they are saying that these old varieties which they have been using are like 50 year old. And um, now they are seeing these uh, varieties have disease problem, insect pest problem. And also there is no standardized practice or the management practices, like what is the row spacing, what is seeding rate, uh, things like that. So agronomic practices are not standardized uh, for mung bean uh, in various uh, parts of our country. So yield-wise, soybeans are still far ahead of mung bean, but already said once you factor in the price, the gap may not be as large as it seems. Agronomically, if you see in soybean, we can't make a comparison right away. First of all, in soybean, uh, more than 50 years of breeding has gone into it. So soybeans is very sturdy. But at the same time, so I got 3,000 accessions from uh, Georgia Center. And so there is a lot of variability. And I'm finding there are some good lines uh, which are resistant to insect pests, but at the same time, there are lines which are susceptible to insect pests. So this is the work of breeder to, to breed and do magic and create a line which is high yielding and also has uh, other packages. Uh, but I would say uh, compared to uh, soybeans, although the yield of mung bean is low, but uh, the price which farmer will get after selling is uh, twice of soybean because uh, mung bean is a food grade legume crop and uh, it has a high uh, price uh, in market as compared to uh, soybeans. If you're like me, you're probably excited about the potential here, but wondering where things stand today. I asked Artie if she'd give us maybe sort of a status update on her program and the potential pipeline for new mung bean varieties. So in my breeding program here at Iowa State, uh, we are in our advanced testing, yield testing right now. So some of the lines are in their advanced yield trial and they'll go in next year in ad advanced yield trial. We already uh, harvested our mung bean and uh, we have to look into the data. So we use Puerto Rico as our advanced, where we, we sell our lines for advancing our generations. So I will be sending uh, some of the seeds uh, to, to Puerto Rico to increase the seed so that next year I can have uh, advanced multi-location trial here in Iowa and some uh, uh, trials I would like to plant at farmer's uh, field. 
So in a year or two, you can expect um, a new variety. And I would I would like to request to farmers to just look, in, uh, look at Iowa State website and connect with Iowa State University if you are looking to plant a new mung bean varieties. And we are trying to look for varieties which are machine harvestable because a lot of the mung beans which is grown in Asia, these were hand harvested. So not very much breeding has gone into it uh, for the standability. So in my breeding program, we are trying to breed for lines which stand erect, which can take these uh, strong thunderstorm which come. So the new varieties you will see uh, will be better st- standing, better plant type, pods on the top so that uh, they can be harvested using combine and uh, better insect and dis- disease uh, pressure they can take. And I would say that uh, since we are trying to grow in Iowa and breeding for this environment, and we'll try to test in various other environments and see the lines which are widely adapted, which can be released so that uh, farmers can grow them in either California or in Tennessee or in in Kentucky. I think the other thing to keep in mind here is that a lot of the commercial mung bean production has been optimized for sprouts, which Artie says is very different from breeding varieties for the bean itself. So uh, breeding uh, for mung beans for sprouts is different from soups uh, to is different from isolating uh, protein for egg. Uh, so when you are breeding for mung bean sprouts, you are looking for shiny grain and you're also looking for larger seeded uh, mung beans because they sprout well. And um, also the quality standards and grading for sprouting is very high. Like there is a disease called fusarium. There is a limit uh, that uh, the seeds can be infested with fusarium. So there is a high, they are very stringent when it comes to quality for the sprouts. So the the seed which is not, which doesn't go in sprouting uh, might uh, go uh, if if they find uh, like uh, levels of fusarium is high, it might go in animal feed or it can go in some other use. Uh, But uh, mung beans for soups, they they can be, the seed doesn't need to be shiny for soups. Uh, And mung bean for isolating protein, again, uh, the seed doesn't need to be shiny because consumers prefer the quality. And when they say quality, it comes through how it looks. So so shiny green color is uh, what is preferred by consumers when they are uh, looking to buy, but for processors who are going to get money by isolating protein out of uh, mung bean are not looking for those traits. Uh, They can uh, take a matte finish uh, mung bean and they can grind it and isolate protein out of it. So now to sort of take things full circle here, back to where we started the episode, because of the previous limitations on varieties and specific efforts still underway to try to establish U.S. production, new plant-based protein companies are having to import a lot more of their supply than they'd like. So currently, uh, mung bean uh, industry, uh, they are not able to get mung bean from U.S. because uh, we have growers, but somehow this company uh, I know about, Just Egg, they recently uh, installed their plant, uh, processing plant in Minnesota. And uh, they are trying to get the raw material from Asia and Africa because uh, the quality of protein or or the cost of um, mung bean flour, which they they are using to isolate uh, protein or protein isolate from it, uh, they are getting it from Asia and Africa. 
So I was talking to uh, one of uh, the person from this industry, and they said that they are uh, needing U.S. farmers to produce mung beans so that they can cut down the cost of their product. So that is very well uh, in need uh, for these companies who are trying to use mung bean in their product as a base. And uh, my program started in 2017, and I'm seeing there are other uh, U.S. universities which, which started working on some portion on mung bean. So there is, uh, I, I guess, uh, University of Montana and Nebraska and Tennessee. Uh, they they got some uh, small amount grant uh, to work on mung bean. So I think uh, the, the the research area is expanding and. Uh, People are seeing the need, uh, especially uh, there is so much competition in plant-based protein industry for the kind of protein and, and designing new things and, or new product. I think they are uh, continuously looking for quality protein. And as uh, I have read uh, in a lot of online and papers, uh, j- journal articles, they consider mung bean uh, protein as a very high quality protein and very suitable for food products. And one of the thing I would like to bring is that mung bean protein quality or digestibility is so good that it is suitable for a person who is from 100-year-old person to a one-year-old baby. So you can understand that uh, how good uh, the quality of a mung bean protein is. And traditionally, it has been used in traditional medicine as a, a diet for uh, patients who suffer from hyperglycemia or high blood pressure and also hyperlipidemia. So because the the glycemic index of mung bean protein uh, or mung bean is very low. So it it is uh, suggested by in traditional uh, medicine uh, to use mung bean in, in their diet. Well, I think one takeaway from today's episode certainly is that the future looks bright for mung bean. But before we wrap things up, I asked Artie what her message would be to our farmer audience who might be listening today and maybe wanting to consider mung bean in the future. So I would say that uh, I, I know farmers are very innovative and uh, those um, the growers who are looking for a new crop or they are looking to incorporate a more uh, diversity in their crop portfolio, please try mung bean because uh, mung bean is, as I said, is a very versatile crop uh, when it comes to uses and I think the quality of protein and the market is just amazing right now. It's opening up in all different directions, not only in plant-based egg or meat and pasta and and noodles, you know, so this industry is going to grow. And I'm also seeing that industry, uh, mung bean industry for the flour is also increasing and there is increasing uh, trend for next uh, 10 to 15 years. So I see there is a lot more benefit in growing this uh, crop, which is right now in a minor um, stage. But I think in future it can become our uh, lentil uh, like Canada. And yeah, I hope that it picks up and our varieties do good. Uh, However, uh, to reach there, we'll need, you know, a collective effort. And I'm continuously working with stakeholders, and uh, industry, private and public uh, to bring this uh, crop into the mainstream so that our growers can grow it and take maximum advantage by growing it. 
Well, thank you very much to Dr. Artie Singh for sharing the fascinating story of the Ung Sung Mung on today's podcast. To learn more about her work, we'll be sure to include a link to her research page in the show notes, so check that out. And also, make sure you are officially a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast on your podcast platform of choice, so you don't miss our next episode with Mark Jurek of the Northern Crops Institute. As a result of our courses, 95% of our course participants had a better understanding of U.S. supply chain, 99% had a better understanding of quality, and 51% increased their purchase of U.S. commodities as a result of what they learned in our courses. So again, make sure you are subscribed to this show on your podcast platform of choice so you can catch that upcoming episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure that the information stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And feel free to tweet us any feedback by using the hashtag growing pulse crops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks. 